Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound to that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots and see who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for this trouble, for making all this trouble for us. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made sea and land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 45. The sign of Jonah. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, 
We want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the teaching of, of Jonah. And now one greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Thank you. From uh, verse 3 of Jonah chapter 1. That Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for the words that you give to us in the scriptures, but we lack the understanding. So we ask for your Holy Spirit to come and breathe into these words and bring them to life for us, so that we might live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. As you will know, this is the first Sunday in what is being called Bible Month. And uh, this is, of course, a a national initiative, and many, many Methodist churches across the connection uh, during the month of June will be studying together the book of Jonah. It's an interesting book to choose. I suppose it's convenient because it's only four chapters, and so that neatly fits uh, into the four um, weeks of uh, June. But It's also an interesting choice because we wouldn't necessarily, I don't think, if we had the choice, our minds wouldn't necessarily choose the book of Jonah. What what springs to mind when we think of the book of Jonah? For many people, it will be about the fish or the whale and... uh, Jonah being thrown over the side and uh, 
all that about being swallowed up by a big fish and, and, that, and that is it really. And that contains the problem because very often that is what we think when we think about the book of Jonah and we think of it as a kind of story, as a kind of almost fairy tale, something for children but not necessarily for adults. In fact, the opposite is true. The book of Jonah, in many ways, is more for adults than it is for children. And while it's very easy to get distracted into things like, well, how is it possible for a, a man to be kept alive in the, in the stomach or the belly or in fact, as you might hear later on, not today, but as it's ex, uh, expounded, the word is not stomach uh, in, in the Hebrew in which Jonah was uh, kept, but the word is womb. And uh, that resonates and brings all kinds of significance to what happens as the story unfolds and new birth how is it, though, we say, how is it possible for such a thing can happen? And we easily dismiss it. And we get sidetracked into that kind of detail. And when we do, we miss the point completely about what this book is all about. Indeed, far from being a far-fetched fairy story, it is, in fact, a very clever and sophisticated piece of writing and it strikes a number of different levels. It is full of allegory, it is full of symbolism, it is full of humor. It was probably written around about 180 BC, quite late as far as Old Testament books are concerned, although it is projected back, way back into the 9th century BC. And at its heart, it really is a classic and a universal story of conversion and new birth. But there is also a subtext that is going on within this story as well, underneath the narrative. And that is how Jonah, or the book of Jonah, the writer of the book of Jonah, is seeking to expose some of the, the worst sense of, of prejudice and limited thinking and believing with people who would call themselves God's own people. And what he wants to do is broaden our understanding of who God is and what God has come to do. Broaden our understanding of the greatness of God's grace and love that is for everyone, not just those who consider themselves to be in this little clique of God's own people. Essentially what Jonah is seeking to do for us is to 
help us, encourage us to have a bigger picture of who God is and our place within the universe. Now, the word Jonah, as you possibly know in Hebrew, means dove. Again, that resonates with all kinds of different things. And immediately what springs to mind is the picture, the image of the Holy Spirit as the dove. Links in, for example, with the story of Noah. Again, there's lots of water in the story of Noah. The Holy Spirit is the messenger of God. And that is Jonah's name. Essentially, that's what Jonah is commissioned to do, to be God's messenger. That's his purpose. And the book of Jonah, in fact, like many other classic Old Testament prophets within the Old Testament, it starts in a very classic way, a very normal way, similar to many other of the Old Testament prophets in the, in the Old Testament, I said that, with the call of the prophet. But immediately, the book of Jonah shows itself to be unlike any other book within the Old Testament, whereas in the other books of the prophets in the Old Testament, there is this call, and maybe there's some reservation, but in the end, the prophet says, yes, I'll go. Here, in this, there is the call, and surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, but Jonah says blatantly, no, I am not going to do it. And immediately, therefore, uh, we see the significance of what Jonah is doing. There, He goes off, instead of going to Nineveh, as God calls him to do, he decides he is going to go off to Tarshish. And if we just have a quick look at that map there, we can see what the writer is actually trying to say to us. You see where Tarshish is, and you see where Nineveh is. It is in exactly the opposite direction. I mean, it's not a very good map, unfortunately, but, but anyway. But there's Nineveh, there's Tarshish. It's in completely the opposite direction. And that's what in many ways, the writer of Jonah is wanting to tell us that Jonah does. When God says go to Nineveh, Jonah goes completely in the opposite direction. And it's worth considering why Jonah does that. Why does Jonah say no? Now, we might be forgiven to think that one of the reasons for him saying no was because he was frightened. Frightened about going to Nineveh. Nineveh, at the time, had a fearful reputation. It was cruel, it was violent, and therefore we might understand Jonah's reluctance as a kind of self-preservation. No, I'm not going to go there because I know what they're like. I'm frightened of them. And in which case, we might have some sympathy with Jonah in that, really. We might identify some of that reluctance 
within our own selves, within God's call upon us and, and the fear sometimes that comes when God says do something and we say, mm, I'm not sure that I want to do that. And that faith in us is a work in progress. And we recognize that there are certain limits that we put perhaps on doing things and going where God calls us to go in places and situations where God is calling us and there is a reluctance on our part because we're frightened, we don't feel equipped to do it. We're nervous about going into those situations. We are fearful. And that's really about growing in faith. And that's really about trusting God more. And that's part of the journey that all of us are on. Growing in faith, trusting God more. That's a narrative that we could all identify with. However, this is not Jonah's reason for turning God down. In the book of Jonah, it suggests in, in chapter 4, we'll come to that in four weeks' time, but in, let's just get a little snippet because it refers in chapter 4 to why Jonah says no in chapter 1. It's not fear that leads him to defy God. It is prejudice. At the end of this book, we discover that the reason why Jonah doesn't go to, goes to Nineveh but goes to Tarshish or seeks to go to Tarshish is because, not because he's frightened, but because he didn't think the Ninevites were worthy of forgiveness. And as he says later, I knew, Lord, I knew that you'd do this. I knew you'd forgive them. And I don't think that they are worthy of forgiveness. And here we pick up one of the main themes of this book, the, the narrowness of Jonah's opinions compared to the wideness of God's mercy. And that, in many ways, is the sign of Jonah that is referred to in our gospel reading this morning. When the Pharisees and the teachers of the law come to Jesus and they ask him for a sign to prove who he is. And the only reason why they are asking for a sign is because of their own prejudice. It has blinded them to who Jesus is. They can't see the Son of God standing there in front of them because their own prejudice has blinded them to the truth that is before them. That whereas they consider themselves exclusively God's own people, the chosen people of God, the sign of Jonah really is about showing them that they're wrong. It's about revealing to them Actually, in reality, God's love and mercy and forgiveness is far wider, far bigger than you could ever begin to comprehend. So shockingly to them, in our reading from the Gospel, Jesus says to them, even the people of Nineveh, who you consider heathens, even the people of Nineveh will rise up on the last day 
even the Queen of the South. By that, Jesus means the Queen of Sheba, who in 1 Kings 10 came to see Solomon and listened to Solomon and was so moved by Solomon's words that her life was changed. Even the Queen of the South, Jesus says, will rise up on the last day. And you know what? What they do is that they will condemn you for your narrowness and for your judgmental attitude. They will condemn you because they will be risen at the last day and you won't. You who consider yourselves God's chosen people. And like Jonah, you believe that these people, the Ninevites and others, are not worthy of God's forgiveness. You will be judged by them. They will testify against you because they will be raised, because they listened to the words of Jonah because the Queen of Sheba listened to the words of Solomon and their lives were changed. They responded to God. But you do not because your hearts are hard. These people, who you, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you believe are outside of God's love and salvation are in fact included within it. So as Jonah was in the fish for three days, Jesus says, so the Son of Man will be in the center of the earth, in the center where, like a womb itself, and will be born again, will rise out, and bring salvation, not just for a limited few, but for everyone who calls on his name. Regardless of who they are, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their background, everyone, as Paul says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the book of Jonah is about revealing that, exposing that. It's a book of, about Jonah's discovery in learning that hard truth. If you were doing a, a graph of Jonah's journey, it would be kind of a U-shape. Uh, and in many ways, it traces the journey of salvation for all of us. So for many of us, like Jonah, the journey begins with our own ideas and our own opinions and our own prejudices and even our own defiance of God. But that journey sets us on a path. It sets us on a downward path. And one of those sophisticated little details that the writer has included in this book of Jonah that is cleverly put and woven within the story is Jonah's journey down. 
As soon as Jonah decides to defy God, he begins on a journey down. So it's described how Jonah goes down to Joppa. And when the wind blows up and the storm comes and Jonah goes down below deck and he falls down into a deep sleep. The direction is clear. It is down, down, down. And we have this picture of how when the storm is raging and the the world, as it were, that is exemplified in this little boat with this little crew, you could say in many ways that's a kind of picture of the world itself. When the storms are raging around, Jonah is asleep. He's wrapped up in his own little world, oblivious to all that's happening around him. And again, the writer wants to alert us to the narrowness of opinions that consider themselves to be the exclusive people of God and those outside of the faith worthless. Because while Jonah, God's messenger, is asleep while the storm is raging, what are the sailors doing? Heathens, what are they doing? They are praying. They're praying, yes, to their gods, but at least they're praying. They're doing something right. It's a shaft of light into the darkness of that storm. In fact, it's them, the captain, that actually comes to Jonah, wakes him up and says, shouldn't you be praying to your God too? The captain, the heathen, he wasn't, he wasn't a follower of Yahweh. He wasn't a follower of Jonah's God. But he has to remind Jonah, God's messenger, of what he should be doing. Maybe that um, there are ways in which we, they weren't always fully aware of God and who God was. But at least they had some inkling of what they should be doing. They were praying. And yes, we could say, well, they, then they cast lots and maybe, again, we might look down our nose at them and saying, oh, they shouldn't be casting lots and that's and so on, but that's what they did, and it was through the lots that God was able to speak. Because Jonah couldn't hear. He was speaking through these other heathens. And even though they didn't know Yahweh, the God of Jonah, they were horrified when they hear the story of how this has all come about. They know that you shouldn't defy God. Jonah doesn't. But they do. They see it, even if Jonah does not. And even when the true thing comes spilling out after a multitude of questions about who, why, what, and so on, and they discover that it's Jonah's fault, the easy solution would be, what should we do with Jonah? Throw him overboard. What do they do? They try to save Jonah's life. It would have been easy for them to throw Jonah overboard, get rid of the problem, but they don't. They try 
to save Jonah's life by trying to row to the shore, but they cannot. And of course the message is clear, they cannot save his life, nor can anyone save their own life when it comes to defying God and saving themselves. So, in those sailors, the writer is saying, don't judge people who are different to you because they have a different understanding, a different faith, and all that sort of thing. There is much good in them. Don't think that you're just exclusively God's people and you've got your monopoly on the truth. How wrong you are. These people have so much to teach you and to teach us. But in the end, Jonah continues his journey down. Down into the water, down beneath the waves, down, down. And that should really have been the end of Jonah, down beneath the waves. But instead, it is the moment of his salvation. At that point where Jonah couldn't sink any further, he couldn't go any further down, God stepped in to save him. And sadly, that is the place that many of us also have to get to in order for God to save us. When we come to that moment when I realize and I confess my pride, my arrogance, my prejudice, my defiance, my sinfulness. And when I come to that point of realization, when I say, and I get a perspective on my life, and I say, Lord, actually, my life is not about me. This is about you. And we get to that point where we say, Lord, take my life. Or when Paul says, he describes it, he says, when we die to self. At that point, and only at that point, God steps in and saves us in Jesus. And like Jonah, when that happens, from the journey down, 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 we begin the journey We'll hear more about that, no doubt, over the next few weeks. Thanks be to God. Amen.